Hey, listeners, happy holidays. Thanks for checking out Heroes Home Base Podcast, Episode 8. Hey, listeners, this is Rob. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Rich. Hey, what's up? This is Mark. So what's everybody been up to this week? Christmas shopping, sir. Christmas shopping and Christmas parties and bullshit. Tis the season. <laughs> Tis the sego season for Lego Batman stuff. Oof. Oof. How many how he's many He's actually getting he's into Star Wars now too, so we're branching out a little bit. Nice. I would tell you the really super cool comic book stuff that uh I wanna uh that I got for somebody, but I won't because they're going to listen to this show before Christmas day. Good choice. So I'll hold off on that. Mark. Well, since what you done any Christmas shopping, buddy? No, I have nobody to shop for. You can shop for me. What would you like? You going to shop for yourself? No, no, I don't really want or need anything. I want a Mark Mazak recorded laugh. For Christmas, I could. Uh, we could arrange that. <laughs> I'll just set it as a ringtone or something, you know. That would be an awesome ringtone, actually. People would be like, "What the hell is that? Is that a banshee cry?" <laughs> <laughs> that would be more. hilarious. That should be your ringtone. I want that for Christmas. I want my laugh to be your ringtone. Can we do that? You got to get me the recording, man. All right. See, it's the gift that keeps giving to That's everybody's right. ears all year long. So, Mark, tell I mean, us about your uh, the last uh, last episode. We talked about your plans to go to WinterCon. So, uh, why don't you give us a brief review of that, man? WinterCon was very much like it. Uh, it's like I always look forward to going. It's right after New York Con, and it's a much smaller con. It's in like the ballroom of the Resorts World Casino uh, by the Aqueduct Racetrack in. In Queens, over by JFK Airport here in New York, and I go every year, and well, not every year. I I, I typically go every other year. Um, I went this year because there was this particular writer that I wanted to go see, uh, Greg Cox, but he was actually hosting a panel, so I didn't get a chance to see him. But, oh, that's too bad. Yeah, I, there were a bunch of comic vendors and uh, merchandise vendors, and I didn't buy anything, but I did get a chance to meet Ming Chen from Comic Book Men. Oh, yeah? Who was so totally awesome. He was so awesome, so much so that he gave me the information to go visit him at a Shared Universe podcast studio where he told me to come down so I could take a tour of the studio and we can record our live podcast there. I mean, he gave me the website so we can go and book everything, and he's like, just text me. He took a picture with me. I got a signed autograph from him. Uh, he took a selfie with me. He told me to come by the secret stash. He said, you know, so he was totally, totally awesome. That was the big highlight for me this year. I, I to get that on the Facebook page. You got a photo of it? Yeah, I do. Um so I, I just went. He noticed my X-Men T-shirt. He's like, yeah, you got retro awesome, the real X-Men team. So he liked my shirt, and it was just um, 
a great way to kind of see what else is kind of taking place after the hype of New York Con and see everybody kind of still in that mode. Um, a lot of cosplayers, a lot of um, different kind of merchandise that necessarily didn't have to do with comics, but like different kind of like graphic designers, a lot of self-publishers were there. So it was a great con. Did you, uh, did you uh, find anything that you wanted to buy? No, not really. Nothing book-wise, no. Or the books, you did create uh, a small list, though, didn't you? Say it again? You had a small list of things to get, didn't you? There were some Fantastic Four issues that I wanted, but I, did, I looked for them, but I didn't see them. And you know me, I don't buy something unless I really, really love it. Right. What about you guys? What, have you guys been watching Watchmen? How's that been going? I feel like we, uh, since our last episode, we owe a little bit of feedback. And uh, I know it was a really, really good conversation between the three of us. And I think that uh, it's it's starting to turn around for me. I'm starting to see the character development, uh, the characters that I, I didn't, the storylines, I guess, that I didn't really appreciate the direction they were going in is kind of turning about face for me. Like, um, I'm through episode eight, uh, episode eight, I think was the best episode of the series so far. I really, really enjoyed it. I still think that there's, I, I, I still don't like the smear job that I think they've done to, to Rorschach. I really wish they would have put him in the show some other way. But other than that, dude, I feel like they've explained quite a bit. It kind of goes back to what Rob was saying about how HBO does their their storytelling and it's kind of a slow burn and sometimes you just got to wait it out and and wait for the results um i haven't been disappointed with episode eight i'm anxious to find out how how it's gonna how it's gonna end so it, it wasn't a complete disappointment for me i guess keeping with tradition of this show i'll rank it depending on how the series finale or season finale sorry season finale is i'll i'll, I'll give it three and a half stars out of five so far so it's moving up the needle for me because after our last episode i I would have given it a one yeah um i'm thinking you'll have to um, excuse since... rob he sounds like <clears throat> the walking dead on this episode yeah i've got some sinus stuff going on here and uh you know go through puberty once, again able to tell us apart on the show right <laughs> right there you go um some similar feedback. I actually really enjoyed. Um, I believe. I believe it was episode six where she took the nostalgia. Yeah. Right. I really liked the uh, choreography, the ways that they kind of integrated her into Hooded Justice past. Uh, so her, it's her great grandfather, correct? Yeah. Um, I did like some of the origin stuff they pulled into his story. I think it made the Tulsa stuff that I was really just like totally baffled and shaking my head about. I think they pulled that in and it, it, it really worked really well. Um, I like how they kind of um, at least reference Minutemen and, and some of that stuff. Um, I like you, Rich. I did like the most recent couple of episodes. They're starting to finally explain some of the stuff with Vite. So I've been pleasantly surprised. I would probably give it a three out of five stars. And mainly because I'm still kind of annoyed that um, HBO did the kind of their slow burn format. And I think you just can't do that with this type of story. You're going to alienate fans and they're probably not going to get this far. Um, But I've been pleasantly surprised. I think they turned it around in many ways. I do think episodes six through eight have been really good. 
um, I will at least keep checking it out, and I, uh, I'm i pleasantly surprised. So I think I like how they've done the Dr. Manhattan stuff, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the season ends. So, Mark, do you got anything on it? No, I, I need to watch – Last Sunday's episode, but I, so far I'm really I'm loving it. It really is. I think we said it on the podcast it's really starting to come into its own. Oh, one thing though I will say, I know we were talking a little bit about kind of the fans versus the um, critics, and I know Rich, you and I were talking about some of the um, YouTube channel comic book podcast stuff, and some of the feedback was a lot of the critics that really hated the Joker really loved this show. Uh, because they thought, you know, Joker was promoting violence. But I'll tell you what, episode six with Hooded Justice origin story, there was a lot of violence in that episode. So I was yeah. like, I wonder, I, I, I'm curious to see if the critics take on the show has evolved at all. Well, I will tell you, I think you guys are in for a special treat. We got a chance to talk to Matthew Rosenberg, the writer of Hawkeye. And we did a great interview with him that I think you guys will really, really love. So please be sure to write in to us. Um, his book actually, book comes out January 1st. So be sure to check it out and be sure to write us in and let us know what you think of the interview. We, we think you guys will really enjoy it. We got to sit down with him for about 45 minutes. And uh, we hope you guys really, really enjoy the interview. Shoot us a uh, feedback and let us know what you think about it. All right, before we get this interview started, Mark, where, where were you when you were coming up with your interview questions? My Hawkeye questions, I was at the meatball shop because I was hoping that they would have that night. I sent it was last week because I was hoping that they had the peanut butter cookies, but they didn't. It's fucking <laughs> bastards. I had to get just a chocolate chip cookie. Hello. How's it going? I'm sorry about the cookies. That's rough. Oh, no. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> Sorry, you had to hear that. No, I, I like it. I'm always down for a good cookie chat. So, Matt, where are you at, man? Where am I? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, New York. New York oh. City. Are you? Yeah. Where in New York? Uh, Harlem. I'm know. in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I live in Brooklyn. I live in Bushwick. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, I live on 148th in Harlem. Matt, I'm telling you, brother, we got it. We're going to have to get together sometime. That's insane. <laughs> I'm going to, because I was talking about the meatball shop. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then you, I don't know if you've ever been, but they have these cookies there, and you can make like an ice cream sandwich out of it. And so my favorite are the peanut butter cookies with the chocolate ice cream, because it's like a re eating a, a Reese cup, but they didn't have yeah. it. I'm like, those bastards. <laughs> Wait, why does the meatball shop have cookies and ice cream? I have that's, no idea, but I'm glad that they do. I've never been in there because I'm not a big meatball guy, but now maybe I'll go in. I think, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, I think you should just try. I had no idea. I didn't know you lived in Harlem. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was born in New York. Lived here my whole life. So that's awesome. I was actually born in Yonkers. Oh, there you go. So I live yeah. close to where you're from, then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, we want to thank you so much for talking with us tonight. We have some great questions, and I think it's going to be a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. All right. So the pre-questions we sent you. Let's just start from the top. So why comics for you, Matt? Are we doing this now? Yeah, might as well jump right in, man. <laughs> You guys are taping and everything. It's good to yeah. go. Yeah, man, we're good to yeah. go. <laughs> Super professional. Um, I like that. It's good to go. Um, why comics? So uh, I've been a comics guy my whole life. Like loved comics, read comics since I was a little kid. Like first learned to read, reading X Men comics. Um, but I never thought about making them really. That wasn't when I was little. I would like write and draw my own comics, but it wasn't a thing for me. I just didn't know that people did that. It just never dawned on me. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then I just hit a certain point where like, you know, I was, I was at my job and I was, I was working in the music business and, uh, you know, like touring with bands and putting out records and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, music business is really brutal and kind of, uh, kind of soul crushing in a lot of ways. Right. And I realized I was just sort of starting to hate it. So I, I was like, well, I don't want to hate music. Um, I want to go do something else. And, and the only thing I liked as much as music was comics. And so I was like, I guess I'm going to figure out how making comics works. Oh, and yeah. I just, you know, like just jumped into that and just really like tried to, you know, literally knew I didn't know a single person who made comics. I didn't know anyone who drew. I didn't know. I didn't have a lot of friends who even read comics because I, it, to me, it's always been like a very solitary thing. Like yeah. I go to the shop, pick up my books, take them home and read them. Like I wasn't. <laughs> on message boards talking to people about comics as just like the thing I did. So like I had no one who was ever like, yeah, you can, you can make them. You, this is how you do it. So it was, it was a big steep learning curve, but yeah, it just, it just was the only thing I liked. So I, I just sort of had to do it. Did you have like a local shop? Like when we first started this podcast, it was kind of just to reconnect because we all used to live in Columbus, Ohio and now Mark's back in New York. Was there like a comic shop when you were growing up? I know it was like a, it's not, they weren't as popular as they are now. Um, when I was growing up, actually, uh, when I was a little kid, there was a comic shop on my block. Um, yeah. So it was like literally the first place my mom would be like, you can't go out. It's New York city. It's not safe. She's like, but you can go to the comic shop because you just have to cross one street. Like I can literally see you go from our, our front door of the comic shop and back. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was like, that was for me huge. I would go there every day. I mean, I wouldn't have money and I, they probably fucking hated me because I would just go in there and like, I would literally start in the back issue bins and like pick up an issue and just like study the cover and then put it back and pick up the next issue because I just want to know everything. Um, Rich, does that not sound familiar? Oh my God. Yeah. We'll tell him I your mean, story. Like that's, that was like your first unpaid job, dude. Yeah, Matt, we have a lot in common. I actually, oh. where we uh, lived, our middle school, Rich and I, we were, Rich and I have known each other since we were 13. And we, there was a comic book store called Comic Connection at Tamarack Circle in Columbus, Ohio. And I would go there every day, not have any money, go through sure. all the back issues and just stare at them and just stare at them and study them. And one, until the, one day, the guy said, put, some, to get, put together some bags and boards for me. And that uh -huh. became my first unpaid job. And so because I was too young for them to pay me in money, they just paid me in comics. And that's where my collection began. Wow. Yeah. Like uh, I, I had an allowance. My parents gave me an allowance and that would get me a couple books. And, and that was pretty much it. And then the rest of it was like trying to figure out what was going on in all these comics based on like guessing what was going on in the covers. That was like a big, uh, a big thing for me. Is um, that when you would say when you fell in love with comics, having lived across the street from one? Is that yeah. what you say? Yeah. Wow. It was just the place I went. It was like the only place I went. I, you know, like the, uh, I, I wasn't, when I was real little, I wasn't a big video game kid or anything. And I wasn't into sports. And I was just like, that's what I did was just comics all the time. So that for me was everything. Like, um, and just like trying to know more and more. I was a big Marvel guy. As a kid, that was sort of my thing. I was I was always about Marvel and, um, you know, the guys at the comic shop. I think I was frustrating to them because I was so like into Marvel that they would they would always be like, no, nope, if you want to get your books this way, you're gonna have to pick up 
you know, like this issue of Love and Rockets, or like you're gonna have to buy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or like just trying to get me to read anything else other than Marvel right. books. Um, but yeah, and I just I just sort of never stopped reading comics, and you know, drifted around to different things. But like it's always been there. Like that comic shop closed and uh, a long time ago. But you know, like there's a lot of great shops in this in New York, so uh, there's always somewhere for me to go. And I love how you check. touched on the fact of uh, you were quiet about it. Now it's like it's super cool to be a nerd and into comics because of the way the culture is now. But like back then it was like, shh, I don't have a comic book with me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean? There's a, there's a kid. I, I went to a small school and there's a kid who's two years older than me who liked comics. And he was the only other kid I knew in school like comics. And we didn't talk about it. We weren't friends. Uh, and he's actually an illustrator now. And he came up to me at a con once and he was like, hey, man, remember me? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, we were the kids who liked comics. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, now we both make comics. And it was an unspoken uh, rule. You didn't talk about it. Yeah. It was like, you know, we went to, I went to an all boys like school, like connected to a church and stuff. And so like, you know, they'd look for any reason to kick the shit out of you. So it was like oh, having yeah. a, you know, if I had an X-Men backpack or something, I, I, that <laughs> that's an automatic push down the stairs. So it was kind of, uh, you know. That didn't come up much. Well, don't you miss the exclusive exclusivity of it, though? I kind of miss because everybody's into it now. You know, I, I I do and I don't. You know, I I like that the stuff I love, you know, like I'm into it. I like it when people like it and, and you get more stuff. Like, I think it's really exciting. But like, it, it's fun for me when like I'm at a convention at my table and like a 10 year old girl is like, Oh, you know, I, I love the X-Men. It's like, that's awesome. When I was when I was a 10-year-old boy, I couldn't imagine that there was a 10-year-old girl out there who loved the X-Men. There were, obviously, but it was very, it seemed very foreign to me, and I love that. But also, yeah, of course, like, there's the thing of, like, being in a sort of secret club of just being whatever. But I wasn't really in the club. I was just doing it myself. So, like, <laughs> you know, uh, the, you know, the guys at the comic shop were mean to me, so <laughs> I don't super miss that. But, uh, I mean, I still, in a lot of ways, it's still sort of very private for me like i don't now i sort of have to go out and be an ambassador comics and talk about comics right. and stuff but like you know I, I don't tweet about what i'm reading and i don't whatever because i don't like you know i do when it's like a friend's book or it's something i want to promote but for the most part like i'm just like yeah this is something it's just ingrained to in me that it's like yeah at night I, I pick up a book and i read it and like that's that's how i learned to read comics and it's just a sort of private thing for me so um yeah I, I have a sort of weird relationship to comics for sure especially because it's you know like uh a lot of a lot of my peers a lot of comic creators that that i i'm sort of around and friends with like they wanted to make comics when they were little kids and they've been working for this and i didn't have that experience and it's like well i was doing other stuff and they all you know did other stuff and had other jobs but like a lot of them were working towards it the whole time and i was right. not and so I have a weird, like, sometimes I have, like, that weird imposter syndrome where it's like, I know the stuff, I love the stuff, like, I'll, you know, I can hold, my collection will hold my own with any any of, any of my peers and, you know, but I still sort of feel like, well, I didn't try and do, I haven't been trying to do this since I was 10, so I feel fake in some way, right. but, uh, you know. So I piggyback gotta... off of that, dude, so what, what was that comic writer that, you really, really loved growing up and you still look up to, to this day, even though you're writing your own books? You know, uh, I mean, for me, the, the writer I loved the most when I was a kid was Chris Claremont. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're an X-Men fan of a certain age, it's gotta be Claremont. 
So can we tell you, two years ago, Rich, his wife Kim and Rob came out to, they come every year to New York Comic Con. And my two years ago, my holy grail was X-Men 101. And sure. we got it, we stood in line and we waited for Chris Claremont and he signed all my books because I, I, I got everything that the, from the beginning of the Phoenix Saga. Uh-huh. And he signed all my books and he just dropped gems on us. Like what it was yeah. like working for Marvel and he called Marvel the machine and how he had I one idea for Wolverine, but the machine wanted another uh-huh. and how he wanted uh, Phoenix to be one way, but the machine wanted it to be another way. And and uh-huh. I mean, uh, you just uh, I'm a huge Chris Claremont fan. He sure. got it. I mean, he was that was our holy grail. Remember that? Yep. Rich, that was yeah. my holy grail that year. And so yeah, I, I we're we all about Chris Claremont. Yeah, I mean, Chris Chris Claremont's a you know, in a field with a lot of legends, he he holds his own with with any of them. I mean, he's he's super important to I think anyone who's reading comics at a Marvel or DC type company like Chris Claremont is a, is a major influence. Um, but, but in terms of being a writer, like he's not the one who made me want to be a writer. He's just the guy that I loved when I was a kid and still do. Um, for me, it was Bendis. Bendis was like, um, he's killing um, it right now at DC, man. It's like running uh, the show, dude. (laughs) Yeah. He's doing so. I mean, he's always killing it. He's Bendis. The, but like, (laughs) I, I, I was like a big, I sort of had fallen off of reading Marvel stuff for a while and i i was i was reading a lot of indie books and and crime stuff and i loved his crime stuff and i loved jinx and torso and goldfish and all those books and he and and the guy at my comic shop was like are you reading daredevil his daredevil like do you read his daredevil and i was like no no i'm not doing that and i he would always just be like read daredevil and i'd be like no no i just read this and then i was like man i'm so annoyed there's like no more bendis stuff to read and and i gotta read daredevil the guy that I was like, you're not reading. He's like, you you just don't like Daredevil. And I was like, well, actually, Daredevil is like one of my favorite characters of all time. And the guy was like, what's wrong with you? This is like one of the best runs of Daredevil ever. And so I, you know, I I picked it up and I I read it and I was just like, oh, this is like the perfect comic book. Like it's it's a flawless book. And and that like, and I knew that it, that was just like a slippery slope into like just reading everything Marvel again and really just like immersing myself because I was sort of off Marvel for a little bit at that time. Um. But Bendis to me was like, uh, I just remember reading his, the first stuff I read from him and it was like, oh, I didn't, you know, there are those books that you read where you're like, oh, this is a different thing. Like you read Alan Moore, you read Grant Morrison and you're yeah. like, they're on a different level. Like yeah. they're, they're doing things no one else can do. Bendis was doing that, but in a way like that seemed, it was so accessible and cool. Like. Alan Moore's doing something no one else can do because he's the smartest and he's a genius and he's a, right. like a crazy wizard. Yeah. But Bendis is doing like stuff where you're just like, this is just cool. And this is just like everything he does so well, but it's so accessible. It feels so like, it, it doesn't feel like wizardry. It feels so, po- he makes everything feel so possible that like, that was really where my fascination with like making comics came from was like reading Bendis books. Dude, like, uh, nice. I was Mark was always the Marvel guy, and Rob and I were the DC guys. Mm-hmm. And I, a, out of Rob and I, I'm still collecting, and I feel ashamed to not have read Bendis's Marvel stuff because he's writing a lot of the books that I'm reading through DC, and I feel like I cheated myself, and I need to go back and find those books now. So. I, I mean, Ultimate Spider-Man is is uh, the best superhero story. Ultimate yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah. It's 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 the super rare it's 
it's the most rare thing in superhero comics because it starts and you meet Peter and he's not a superhero. He's just a kid. And you watch him become a superhero, grow up and live his whole life. And it's one writer telling the story and it's one story and it's not, there's no reboots and there's, I mean, there are renumbers, but it's one story and it doesn't right. change. And there's no one who comes in to undo anything. And there's no, like they don't bring in another writer to change the direction. And it's just one story. And it's like, it's a 10 year long miniseries. Like it's just the perfect and it's, and it's flawless. It's like the best comic. Awesome. So we want to get into this Hawkeye. I'm telling you, man, he I, he's such such a rich character. Sure. Such a rich character. I mean, first appearing in Tales of Suspense number 57 in 1964. I mean, that's like what 55 years worth of history. That's incredible. So why Hawkeye? You know, um, if you asked me that two days ago, I wouldn't have an answer. Um, <laughs> but I, I I sort of embraced for this the. Uh, Hawkeye to me is, I love Hawkeye. I think he's an amazing character. I think Hawkeye is in some ways the best entry point into the Marvel Universe. Like, you know, Stan Lee used to say that, you know, the Marvel Universe is the the world outside your window. And and for me, it was like, you know, growing up in New York, it's very true. Like, there are places right. and you'd like, be like, it's the actual Avengers Mansion and, like, the X-Men are in Central Park, like, playing softball and I know where that is. Um, but it's 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 always it's fantastical through the lens of of very grounded and very human, and that's sort of the difference between a Marvel and a DC on a very abstract level. You know, it's like right. it's real world and it's real cities, and it's 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 uh, you know it, it's it's supposed to be more re- relatable in some way. It's like that's what they always say is like DC's aspirational and and Marvel's relatable, and yep. uh, the uh, Hawkeye is the Avenger he's the superhero with with no powers right. he doesn't he wasn't he's not a mutant he wasn't chose he doesn't have a super soldier serum he wasn't bit by a spider he's not wearing a magic suit of armor um so in that way he's he's a very human entry point into the universe but i think more than that is the stories and the way he's written uh he was a villain you know he but he, but he's not like a mustache twirl evil bad guy he he was just a dude who had no one looking out for him and he made some bad choices. He had some bad advice when he was a kid and he, he's so he was looking out for himself and looking out for his family. And then captain America and the Avengers sort of step in and they're like, you're better than this. You can do better. And he spends his life sort of striving to do better and, and, and really be a hero um, because he's atoning for mistakes in his past. And, and I think that's super relatable, but also, he fucks up a lot. He's he's stubborn and and he's he gets he he makes bad choices and then he's trying to fix them and he does it. You see it in his personal life and you see it in his relationship with characters and like, you know, there's there's the great stuff in 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 some of the Avengers stuff where they're like in the 80s 90s Avengers where they're like there's too many Avengers and some of the Avengers are like well I don't need to be here and he gets super upset and he's like you do need to be here like this this is where everyone should strive to be like he wants so bad to be the hero knowing that like he has to work so much harder for it he had to really fight to be there and and like the stakes are so much higher for him when he runs into battle next to thor and the hulk like right he he can die and they're like you know they'll shrug it off and in all of those ways i think like it's really easy to see yourself in Hawkeye, like to, no matter who you are. I mean, like there's so many things that just sort of make him feel very human. Like he's deaf and um, 
you, you know, like he 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 has a family troubled relationship with his family, and then he's, you know, like he he's just really good at one thing, and he's like, I want to use that to help people because I didn't used to do that, and no one did that for me, and I think that's super super endearing and super charming, and in that way, like, you know, I love Captain America, but like I'm not like Captain America, right? But in some ways, like you know, I fuck shit up, I'm I I screw up, I make mistakes, I try and make it make right, I'm like trying my best to be good and that's Hawkeye. And, and so I really love him for all of those things. I think he is the, the, such a great entry point to the Marvel universe. And I love that you say that because, you know, I, I am a huge, huge, huge Avengers fan, especially when George Perez and Kirk Busiek took over for the heroes were born in like 97, 98. And it was, I was like 13, 14, but it was in those issues and in the late seventies where I could articulate in him finding such security in being an Avenger. Sure, yeah, yeah. He found such security in that fact that although they may have butted heads, he really does look up to Captain America as a big brother father figure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I can totally see that just in his conversations with him. So yeah. I think that that's so... You, you really hit it on the head when I think you think that's a great entry point because he is, for all his toughness, he is emotional. Yeah, for sure. And you see it a lot, like, you know, he's making jokes and he's wisecracking and stuff, but he's, he's, you can see it in the books. Like he's, he's compensating for the fact that he gets scared and he's nervous and he's uncomfortable and, and like all of that's there. It's all in the books. Like he, he gets, you know, like he's in danger and he knows it and he, he's, he puts on a brave face and you see Hawkeye put on a brave face and that's awesome because like, you know, Captain America's not scared. (laughs) Like Thor's not scared. And Hawkeye is scared, but he still gets up and does it. And I think that's, you know, a different type of heroism that I think, you know, is really great to see and and really, you know, and like you said, like he looks up to the Avengers. Like, that's awesome. I grew up looking up to the Avengers. And here is a superhero who also, you know, became a superhero because he loved the Avengers. Like, yeah, I just I just really love him. And so it was really, you know, I jumped at the chance to do the book because because I think he is such a great character and, and he has such great runs and such a great pedigree of like, you know, it's not, uh, he's not like a, a, you know, a Thor where like there's amazing runs, but there's always a Thor book and it's just a sort of constant. It's right. like, they only do Hawkeye sometimes. It's a, it's a, and it has to sort of be something that, that they feel is special. And so I, I feel really honored and, you know, I feel a, a, a big, a very privileged to get to do the book. And So when's it know, coming out, Matt? It comes out January 1st, New Year's yeah, Day. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, you come back from partying, you get some sleep, you get up in the morning, head to your comic book shop and, you know, buy yourself 20 copies of Hawkeye. Exactly. I will for <laughs> sure. I will. Were you intimidated at all? With Hawkeye? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Hawkeye is a weird one just because, like I said, like there's such a prestige to the to the, to the the runs that have come before. I mean, I'm a big, like, solo Avengers, Avengers Spotlight fan, which are like stealth Hawkeye books. Um, But then, you know, you get Matt Fraction and David Aha in, and they just redefine not just the character, but like what a Marvel book can be. And, and from there, you know, Jeff Lemire starts writing it, Kelly Thompson writes it. And there are all these sort of amazing runs where they're constantly like reinventing what the book is. And that is super intimidating and super intense, but also, um, you know, really exciting. It's the kind of stuff that you like hope for to to get the chance to be like, well, I want to stand, you know, like, 
I want to step up to the plate. Like I want to be in the game and it's scary as hell to be in the game. But like, that's, that's where, that's where you do it on a book like this is like a book that, you know, it's not, it's not Avengers. It's not X-Men. It's not like the flagship book, but it's a, it's a book that with such a great pedigree, that's so rich. And, and you like, I, I feel the weight of that very much for sure. Oh yeah. What do you think of him on the big screen? I think he's fun. You know, it's a very different thing. Uh, I mean, he's he's much closer to the ultimate version. Right. A, a lot a lot of them are. A lot of them are sort of the ultimate versions of the the characters in some way or the other. I I think Renner does a good job and sort of makes him this sort of like brooding kind of watching everything go on. And I think I think I think Jeremy Renner's a, a fun actor, but it's it's very at this point it's sort of very different from what what we're doing in the book and stuff. Well, I love that, and it's so funny. I, I love the Avengers, but I also have every single issue and love the West Coast Avengers that he sure. was initially chairman of. Yes. So when I saw him become that, it's just like, man, he went from this carny to a, a villain to a long-standing Avenger to a chairman and a husband all in one yep. shot there. You know what I mean? That happened all in one book. That was, And that's when I really started to learn or see Hawkeye could really articulate him being emotional because not only is the chairman, he's on the chairman with a team with his wife, with Mockingbird, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And their okay. fallout and see how it's just like to see two married people fighting over something that, you know, they have to work together. That's when I really saw him become emotional, that kind of thing. So that was, that's really uh, not a whole lot of um, characters, whether it be in DC or Marvel, kind of go through that. Yeah. I feel like that was really a Hawkeye thing because I don't see Captain America. I don't see, uh, you know, the Blue Beetle. I don't see anybody kind of go through that. I mean, I see Vision and Scarlet Witch go through it because they're on the same team. If I, but to see Hawkeye and you're a leader, I, that was a really interesting um, uh, period for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always got, you know, it's always a balance of personal life and, and superheroes uh, with the character. And I think that's really fun. And I, I, I again, I think it, it goes back to that idea of like, he's a good entry point for the universe because you are going to see him at home with his wife, now ex-wife, um, you know, fighting. You are going to see his relationships and, and, and him screw it up and him, you know, watch these things fall apart and the toll it takes on him. And I think that's really uh, a lot of the draw of the character and, and something that we're really trying to do in the book is, is like his personal life and his friends and, you know, how he navigates this kind of stuff. And you're so right because here it is, Hawkeye, this has this tough exterior, this really great looking, like physically he's a handsome guy, he's great stature, but also he always falls for the wrong girl. Yeah. Like yeah. whether it be Scarlet <laughs> Witch, first it was the Black Widow, then it was the Scarlet Witch, and then I don't know if you ever read, read his one shot, there was a uh, girl when he was a security, office, a security officer, he fell for her, but yeah. they ended up at the end of the book falling in love with and marrying Mockingbird, and their fallout, and they're getting back together. I mean, it's almost, he's like somebody in your family or somebody that you know, this great looking guy, <laughs> but his big heart, but a nickel head, and he's falling in love with all the wrong girls, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, he, he just can't make it work um and you know i i think like it, there's a funny thing because a lot of the hawkeye fans are like you know are you going to put him with 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 natasha are you going to put him with bobby like who's he going to be with who's he going to be with oh wow and, yeah they're very like obsessed with that and i i, I get it and I, I i think people want to see him happy and and with someone but i'm like he he screws it up like he he messes it up and like he he loves them all but he's the problem and i think he knows that deep down I know, and it's so funny because I say, I, 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 because I'm rooting for him, you know what I mean? Yeah. But he just can't get it together. Yeah. 
Uh, we gave him a new girlfriend in the book. You're going to see he has, a, oh, he has a new girlfriend who people will hopefully recognize, but it's not it's not someone you've seen before. But there are some uh, exes who show up. So um. oh, that I just got goosebumps because I'm just curious because he, although he's a yeah. you know I want him to have my back in battle, but articulate I don't think he's is like the most when it comes to like that love stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Because that's interesting, yeah. I got to deal with my ex, you know, that's a different kind of conversation versus like, you know, there's this force blast flying at me, I got to move out of the way, you know what I mean? That's a whole other thing For there. For sure, yeah, yeah. We're trying to do both. We're trying to make it, I mean, it's a superhero book. It's We got the hood, and there's a new Ronin who's running around who's dangerous, and he wants to stop him. And nice. so we're doing the superhero thing and, and really like leaning into that, but it's still doing like his home life and, and, and that balance and how he you know, can't make either of them work exactly the way he wants and how leaning into one messes up the other and vice versa. So that's a big part of what, what's happening in the book. I love you. You're articulating this so well because this is, you're describing that to me. I can just see it from page to page, him leaving one situation, having to go into another and give that his full focus. You know what I mean? In yeah. order to, I just, I see that you're, I think I, I'm looking forward to January 1st, baby. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So can you tell me what your because with Chris Claremont and that 10 minutes that I had with him, he called it the machine. And so I called Marvel the machine. What are your conversations like with them? With Marvel? Yeah. Uh, they're great. I mean, I love Marvel. Um, the, you know, I, I, I can't speak to Chris's experience, but right. I, I mean, they've been nothing but awesome to me. I, I think from the top down, it's a company of people who are super passionate about, you know, the things that, I'm super passionate about and they you know really do you know it, it's funny I, I think there's a there's an idea that that fans get in their head that like oh if this isn't happening or they stop this or they don't let this happen like they don't care about it and that's just a patently untrue and I see it you know I, I see it in in terms of like everything from like character deaths to books um, ending to everything where people are like oh they don't care and it's like I've never met a more passionate group of people than than the editorial staff and the people who work at marvel they're really wow. they really just love what they do and it's it's really fun and awesome to work with people like that and like you know there are times when i want to do something and they want to do something and you know we get in you know it gets heated it, i'm sure all the all the writers feel that way that like you you're passionate about something and, and it gets heated and intense and it but it's never angry and it's never upsetting but it's it's fans it's fans arguing about what they want to happen to these characters and like i think everyone understands that and respects that that it's like you know i love hawkeye but alana my editor loves hawkeye just as much as i do and is a huge fan and you know she's sitting there and i'm like i want to do this and she's like you have to acknowledge that this happened and you know she knows so much and you know, I think that's true across the across the whole company that it's like, you know, you, you don't work at a company like Marvel. Uh, you know, they're not it, you get the job because you care about the comics and can talk about them and know about them and are, are good at it. And like, you know, they're not like headhunting a guy who's like, oh, you were an accountant. Well, I think you'd be a good editor. Like um, these people right. are, are super in love with with these characters and they're, you know, know the stories and they understand how story works really well. So I, I have nothing but good things to say about Marvel always. I mean, you know, it's my, uh, I'm three and a half, four years into working there and it's still, uh, you know, I work 12, 15 hour days and I'm, I'm happy seven days a week and I'm still super happy because I love my job and, you know, that's awesome, I'm happy dude. to do it. 
I love that you say that. I mean, that really hits the nail on the head for me because as someone who doesn't work in that field, you know, it, I'm so glad you say that you said that because they're fans, they're writers, and they're passionate about these characters. You know what I mean? That not somebody who used to be an accountant. Oh, maybe you could be an editor. That kind of thing. I'm so glad you said that because that really sheds a light on it for me because these are people are passionate. And I imagine as you were talking, I imagine it to be such a creative. Yeah. space to be in that makes it so exciting that that makes it almost seem like you're not working you know what i mean oh yeah i mean the 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 most fun days of the year for me are the the creative retreats because it's you know the top dozen or so writers and then all the editors like sitting in a room 10 hours a day talking about stories talking about plans planning out the universe and then it finishes and we all go out to dinner and do the same thing and then we all go to the bar and do the same thing and we're out at the bar you know i'm like Every night of the creative retreat, it's, you know, like me and Donnie Cates and Scotty Young and Jason Aaron sitting at a bar till three in the morning. And then we go back and go to sleep and we're at the office again at eight and doing it. And we do that day after day because it's so fun. It's like, you know, it's work, but it's a working vacation. It's it's, you know, talking about these stories we've loved our whole life. And like, you know, there's nothing more fun than like hearing Jonathan Hickman walk you through two years of X-Men or hearing Mark Wade talk about like the history of the Marvel Universe and how things work and stuff. It's, uh, you know, it's like it's a literal dream of mine come true. Like my favorite writers talking, getting to hear them talk about these characters and where they're going and why is, is such an honor and so much fun. That's incredible. I mean, that really just, man, that I just got goosebumps hearing you talk about it. That's incredible. I, I don't know anybody who works in that kind of space and can call it work. You know what I mean? That's really incredible. And it's so funny. I'm glad that you mentioned the fact that these characters, that these writers and editors care about what to do with a character or whether or not a book gets canceled. And I'm glad you yeah. talked about a, a book being canceled because my number one favorite issue of all time is issue 102 of Avengers West Coast. Because okay. in that issue, there are no villains, there are no superpowers, nothing's being drawn. It's about it's the East Coast and West Coast sitting at the table deciding to disband the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. And in that editorial page, the writers are saying, we debated for months how to end this book. And we didn't want any villains. We didn't want any superpowers. We just wanted politics of these characters sitting at a table talking. And they just discussed their passion for the, both the East and West Coast teams. And he said the reason why we're canceling is because these two teams that we love so much, they're not interacting. Yeah. They're off in their different lanes, and each coast rarely mentions each other. Yeah. So to hear, I just got goosebumps because to hear these editors talk about these people, they're like, because this is what we're doing. So we made these characters do the exact same thing, sitting at this round table, deciding the course of this story, and that's how they ended it. And so I'm glad that you brought that up because that actually did happen in that issue. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's the that's the issue where U.S. Agent uh, throws uh, throws his costume away, right? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. He throws it into the Hudson River, and you see the Statue of Liberty in the back. Like, I mean, yeah. it's it's, and it's so funny because I can take the Staten Island Ferry, and I'm like, okay, maybe this is where U.S. Agent did it. Like, <laughs> what do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I I do I do remember that issue fondly and love it. That actually, my not not that it has anything near the legacy of the West Coast Avengers that I love, but. Uh, when I did Secret Warriors, that was my first ongoing book at Marvel, and we did 
12 issues, I mean, ongoing, but uh, we did 12 issues. And it was the longest thing I'd ever done at the time. And when we were coming to end it, they were like, well, how do you want to wrap it? And I said, I want, actually want to wrap the fighting and the bad guy stuff in issue 11. And I want to have the team disband over at a, uh, like at a party with no bad guys and no villains and just decide that they're, it's not working and they need to go their separate ways. And that's sort of a, that was sort of a inspired pay, a little pay by homage that issue. to that issue. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, yes. I'm telling you, it's such a great issue. It's, it's my number one favorite issue of all time because you have these costumed, powerful characters sitting around discussing politics. Yeah, for sure. That's incredible. Well, I got to tell you, Matt, it has been a true pleasure. A true yeah. pleasure. You and I, we have to connect. So we live so close. We're neighbors. We have to connect and get sure. together yeah. over coffee or something. That'd be and awesome. Rich, did you have any questions? I just wanted to go back to, uh, I just wanted to get your, your feeling on your first, give somebody insight when you first got your uh, name on a comic book on the shelf. Describe that feeling. Oh. Uh, it's weird. It's, 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 uh, I'm weird. I, I approach things like a, a little bit of a weirdo i think it, it to me it was it's awesome and it was beautiful but also like i have a strange relationship to it my both of my parents were writers uh, and you know there's that thing that people say where they're like you know when people want to be writers and i know why they say it where where people are like oh i'm trying to be a writer and writers they'll say to a writer like i'm trying to be a writer and writers say you don't try to be a writer you just write and you are right Right. And that's and that's a common thing. And I understand why that's said. And it's a, a sense of encouragement and, and the idea of like, do the thing you want to do. And then you become that thing, you know, be become the thing you want to be. But to me, I have a very different relationship with it because because both my parents are writers. So like, you know, my my every meal I ate as a kid was paid for my the roof over my head was paid for by writing. So I never was like, if you want to just say you're a writer and you're a writer, like if, if my parents were doctors and someone was like, I want to be a doctor, I wouldn't be like, just say you're a doctor and you're a doctor. <laughs> like that's right. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, and so I was like, no, a writer is someone who, and, and I don't necessarily actually intellectually think it, but like sort of inherently I have this relationship with writing where I was like, well, it's about a certain thing. It's about like actually, you know, uh, making a living doing it or being your job or whatever. And I don't necessarily believe that, but it was always sort of in my head. And so when I started making comics, I would, you know, I'd write something and, uh, um, you know, my girlfriend would always say to me like, Oh, are you happy? And I'd be like, well, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. Like, I'm not a writer. And she'd be like, well, you wrote something. You are a writer. And I'd be like, no, I'm not. And I kept setting these sort of goal lines for myself where I'd be like, the first time I sell it to a, you know, the first time I, I write something and, and, uh, you know, all this happens or like the first time I get someone to draw a book for me. And I was, yeah. I was pitching and hiring artists and I was like the first time that happens and the first time I get it printed. And, and then I had this thing where I said like, you know, the first, I said the first time I sell a comic to someone I don't know. And so like I went to a comic con my first comic con that I went to as a writer was New York comic con and, and a stranger came up and bought my self published stuff. And I was like, wow. it's still, yeah, it's a crazy feeling. And it, it, it feels really overwhelming, but I also was like, it still doesn't feel the same to me. It doesn't feel like it. Cause it's like I'm hand selling it. Like, and then, uh, my first book, I did a book, I did a book called 12 reasons to die with, uh, Riza and Ghostface killer from the Wu-Tang clan. And wow. Yeah. And that was my first thing. And I was still working in a, uh, I worked at forbidden planet on, in union square. Nice. Uh, and so I was working there when that book started came coming out. 
And so I, I was there the day it came out. And you I was put like, it on the shelf, man. <laughs> I, I put it on the shelf and like it, it was a weird feeling because I was like, well, this is, came in the same way that Batman comes into the store. Like this mm-hmm. came from time, came in the box. Like I didn't bring this and hand it to them. <laughs> like, and, and I still, but I still had that thing because I was like, well, but I work here though. Like this is my job. And so like every level of it, I sort of diminished in a way. But for me, the first the first thing I got at Marvel, I did a 10 page X-Men story in Secret Wars Journal number one. And that to me was like, I didn't get this because I was friends with anyone. It's not uh, I, I'm not riding any celebrities coattail. It's <laughs> right. not coming to my day job. Like I, I don't work at the comic shop anymore. Like this is it. Like this is just a comic based on my credits and they paid me money and like you know, I, I, I'm going to pay my rent this month with a, with a Marvel paycheck. And, and that to me was like, it was overwhelming, man. It was crazy. I know you asked a short question. I gave this really, no, I love long. it. That's what I love. No, we love it. We appreciate it. Cause but like, was- uh, this isn't nearly where you're at, but I kind of relate to you in this. Cause I was in graphic design and I met some people through, I was really into, uh, paintball and I was, I had a couple professional teams in California that I designed their jerseys for. And, you yeah. know, I'm just like this young kid out of college doing all this stuff for free. And it was, it was humbling dude, to see your work in magazines yeah. and in print and you see your logo and you see people that you talk to. And I don't know, like I kind of relate sure, to you sure. a little bit that way, but no, it's, it's definitely humbling. 100%. Yeah. It's a weird feeling, man. It's like, you're happy, but it also just like, I don't know, I could never not like feel the weight of all of it and just be like, think of all the work I did to get there. Like it all just sort of hits you at the same time. Right. It's, it's humbling is the perfect way to say it, man. It's, it's like a, it's a wild thing to like, you know, like have someone else wear something you designed. It's yeah. like, it's, that's heavy, you know, that's no joke. It's a heavy thing. It's awesome. Did you grab the stack off the, off the wall that you put on there and just sign all the issues? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah i uh i still I, I up until i was like doing there was a time when i was doing eight books a month at marvel uh and up until then i would take every tuesday night and i would go out and i'd hit every comic shop in manhattan oh, yeah. and and go in and be like hey can i go in the back and sign the books because i was like you know a signed book is you know something i can do for the city and for the people who come here and of course you know i get the fucking guys who are like I don't want a signed copy. You signed all of them. Like I want, and I'm like, sorry. And so then I have to go. I know to go, and I don't sign the last five. So they. Can I didn't pull ask for that. the. I didn't ask my poll to be filled with signatures. Yeah, I I literally had a guy uh, when I worked at. I still worked at Forbidden Planet when Twelve Reasons to Die came out, and a guy bought it from me, and I didn't say it was my book, but I'd signed it, and he was like, "All of these are signed," and I was like, "Yeah," and he was like, "Is there a a discount?" And I was like, oh, "A damn. discount." And he was um, like, he's like, someone wrote on them. And I was like, the writer wrote on them. And he was like, yeah, is there a discount? And I was like, no, man, there's no discount on that. And he was like, yeah, I'm not going to get it. He's like, I'm not going to get it. And I was like, oh, God damn it. It's comics. Just, there's always, there's always going to be someone where you can't win, man. Well, Matt, I got to tell you, you're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> well, thank you. You are. You're doing the Lord's work, and I have it written down here. January first, I will head to. It's so funny. When did you start working at Forbidden Planet? Because whenever I go to the movie theater right across the street there at Regal, I always yeah. go to for, make sure to go to Forbidden Planet just to uh, like before my movie or whatever. When did I you start? Because maybe I've been in there when you were in there. I think I stopped working there like five years ago. 
Okay, I might have been in there. I've been in New York almost ten years now, so I may have been in there when you've been in there. But I um yeah, you I gotta tell you, I this has been like one of the best conversations. We really, really appreciate you talking to us tonight. Thank you very much. Yeah, this was super fun, guys. Thank you so much for having me. So let me ask you this around Christmas time. What's your number one uh, request for Christmas, Matt? What do I want? Yeah. Uh the you know my mom always gets me something and she'll just like i'm always just like i want a book and i try and she's like but you just go and buy all the books you want so i always try and ask for something uh i really want the the absolute swamp thing the alan moore swamp thing like the absolute edition uh i have all the alan moore absolutes but they just put out the swamp thing one and that's that's what i'm hoping i get for christmas nice i listened to another podcast where they reviewed it and it sounds pretty damn stellar yeah, I, I, you know, it's one, of, it's one of my favorite DC books, if not, I mean, it's did in my you, top. Uh, did you watch the DC Universe show? No, I haven't, I haven't seen it. I don't have the app, and so I'm waiting for it to go to the new whatever. I was in England, and on England, they don't have DC Universe over there, so it was on Amazon in England. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I should just take a night and just watch it, and then I just didn't have time. Dude, it's super depressing that they're not going to do another season of it. It was really excellent. Yeah, it was I excellent. Everyone says it's awesome. I I would love to. I, I'm definitely gonna watch it. It's like high on my list to watch. But yeah, everybody that was saying that they love the Alan Moore stuff, that the show was just amazing, and I agree with it. It was really really good. Awesome. Well, I will check it out soon. All right, well, man, I appreciate thank it, buddy. You again for taking. Yeah. It. We really appreciate it, and we'll be in touch. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good night. You, you too, too, buddy. Goodbye. Thanks, Matt. Night. And that was Matthew Rosenberg. We really encourage you guys to uh, pick up his Hawkeye number one coming out January 1, technically January 2nd. So um, you guys want to do a little blast from the past? Sure. Absolutely. All right. So I picked up, it's technically Wizard 2000. So it was Counting Down Wizard 2000. So this is the December 1999 issue. And it's got the uh, Alex Ross, looks like the Kingdom Come painted cover. Mark, I know you don't appreciate that as much as I do. Mm-mm. <laughs> so this would have been from, what, 20 years ago? 20 years ago. Okay, so the book of the month was Uncanny X-Men 376, and that was Alan Davis, Adam Kubert, and Tim Townsend. Uh, then we had Aquaman 63 by Dan Jurgens, my man. You had Astro City number 20. And that was by your boy, Kurt Busick, Mark. Nice. And then you had Avengers 24. That was by Mr. Busick and George Perez. Then the Batman books all lumped into one when DC was doing the No Man's Land after the Cataclysm. And then we had Batman Dark Victory number two by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Tim Sale. That's our blast from the past. Nice. So, guys, what do you think if we do a Christmas episode and <clears throat> we talk about maybe some of our favorite Christmas stories or we look into maybe some popular Christmas stories that we haven't read? What do you think? I'm down for that. Sounds like a plan. Listeners, I definitely think uh, go ahead and write it right in. Email us at heroeshomebase at gmail.com and list some of your favorite holiday themed comic books or uh, shoot us a post on our Facebook page. Yeah, I think that'll be cool. We'll do it right before Christmas. Well, guys, I hope you really enjoyed the conversation with Matt Rosenberg on his new Hawkeye book coming out in January. Uh, why don't you shoot us some feedback on our uh, email and let us know what you thought about it. This is Rich, and thanks for checking out the episode, and I hope you have a very Merry Christmas season.
This is Rob. Again, thanks for listening. Really appreciate you guys taking the time through all the other podcasts and uh, radio options you have. You chose to listen to us. So take care and enjoy this time of year. This is Mark. And happy holidays. Thanks again for listening and supporting this RMR production.